Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am here with Peter Matson. Peter is president of ML Commons, general chair at ML Perf, and a staff engineer at Google. Peter, welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. You've, uh, you've, you've built a pretty amazing thing with this podcast. I'm excited to, uh, to be part of it. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to chat with you. In particular, today's a, a big day for you. You're launching something that uh, is called ML Commons, and we will get into what exactly that is. But before we get there or to get us there, tell us a little bit about your background and you know some of the work you do. Uh, sure. So um, my background, I'm a, I'm a compiler guy. I like to, to work with complex systems and, and uh, make them better through quantitative analysis. But these days, uh, that means ML. That's, that's where all the excitement and, uh, and opportunities are. Um, and so that's what I'm, uh, I'm focused on now. I uh, started with Google about three years ago um, and built up uh, an ML metrics team. We uh, were very excited about measuring everything about ML and uh, using that to make ML better. Everything from, uh, from speed to accuracy to efficiency. And so sort of as a, a natural outgrowth of that, we were part of a small group that founded something called ML Perf, which has, uh, has grown into sort of the industry standard uh, performance benchmark. So now I, I have sort of a dual role of, uh, of uh, leading my team at Google and um, I'm, I'm the general chair. I try and herd all the cats for ML Perf. And, uh, you know, that's, as you mentioned, uh, becoming something new with ML Commons. So try, try, and, uh, try and wear all those hats uh, successfully. It's, uh, <laughs> it keeps me busy, uh, but it's, it's, it's a really exciting time. I mean, I think we're, anybody in this industry right now, uh, you're, you're really fortunate. We're, we're all uh, a part of history right now. It's, it's, it's very exciting. Well, let's start by talking a little bit about ML Perf and uh, what you've been up to there. I don't think we've talked about it much on the podcast at all, sure. uh, or if we, we've talked about you know some of the issues there in terms yeah. of uh, benchmarking machine learning performance. But you know, tell us a little bit about ML Perf and what what that's all about. Sure. So, ML Perf um, is a ML speed benchmark. So it, it measures how fast you can do things like train models or uh, the kind of throughput you can get with a, with a model for inference. So that is to say, uh, you know, you deploy a model uh, to recognize cats. You know, how many cats per second can you achieve? That's what it does. But we really needed something like this uh, a few years ago. Um, people were starting to build accelerators for ML. We'd... we'd turn GPUs into people were starting to build uh, dedicated hardware. But everyone was sort of, uh, you know, claiming theirs was great uh, using very different metrics. And so we needed some way to get everybody on the same yardstick so we could compare solutions and try and figure out what was the right direction for the field to go in. So that was uh, the, the rationale for creating MLPerf. And, uh, you know, I I'd, uh, started at, at uh, Google and I uh, was fortunate enough to connect with uh, David Patterson of uh, computing a quantitative approach or computer architecture, a quantitative approach. He was, is a very strong advocate of using metrics to, uh, to design things. And we decided we wanted to build this. So we looked around and found uh, a group of people who published what we thought were good work in, uh, in machine learning benchmarking. Um, there was uh, Greg Diemos who'd done DeepBench. 
with Ty Zaharia and Peter Bayless at Stanford who did Don Bench. There were some folks at, uh, at Harvard who'd done Fathom. So we kind of got everyone in a conference room and said, you know, we, we've got a bunch of good ideas here, but we need something with enough support that everyone starts using it. Can we all come together and build one benchmark? Fortunately, we had a lot of community-minded people, really great group of folks, and we decided to do that. So we, uh, we, we drafted up some rules, um, you know, overcame, I think, some really challenging technical problems in benchmarking ML. ML is unlike benchmarking normal software. Uh, we had to, to come up with some, some very different things. And then we, we reached out to the larger community and, and um, got some, uh, you know, everybody we could think of and got some great folks involved from other, other companies like NVIDIA and Intel in particular, and a bunch of startups and some more academics and uh, just grew the community from there. You know, we did our first round of benchmarking at the end of 2018 and then kept growing. We added, that was a training benchmark. So how quickly can you get a model to go from zero to the quality you want? Then we added inference, and now we've added you know benchmarks for mobile and benchmarks for supercomputers, and this this community has has really worked well together, and our benchmarks have taken off. Uh, you know we've we've been in the Economist and the Wall Street Journal. You know we've, we've we're the way you measure how fast your your ML hardware is. And is the benchmark based on any particular type of model? Is it computer vision oriented, or do you have different versions? Maybe one that's more you know transformers and NLP another computationally intense workload? So what we've tried to do is cover the whole field because uh, you know we want people to be able to either build specialized hardware or build general ML accelerators. Depends on what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So we have a suite of benchmarks, for instance, for training, that includes a couple of vision benchmarks, a couple of speech and language benchmarks, a recommendation benchmark, which is you know, what powers search and commerce, and a reinforcement learning benchmark, which we think is is reasonable coverage. There's there's some areas we'd still like to build that out in, but that's a pretty good survey of the field. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've always pursued since day one was making sure we benchmark real apps uh, or real uh, you know real training tasks. Yeah. Training this model, you know, uh, ResNet on ImageNet to give you the, the classic example, right? This is a very well-known vision model on a very well-known data set. This is something yeah. people really do. There's been a lot of failures uh, in benchmarking history with people doing um, you know, quantitative approximations. And then people end up optimizing their hardware for these quantitative approximations, and it turns out to have nothing to do with reality. So we, we really wanted to build a benchmark that is, is things that people really do in these areas. You know, for instance, BERT is uh, very popular these days. It's one of our benchmarks. We're starting to look at uh, things like the giant models uh, that the people are using, like GPT, and see whether we can add something like that. We want to make sure that we have a benchmark that is real and that it tracks the uh, the amazing rate of progress in this field. Yeah, and I imagine, you, and you alluded to this earlier when you talked about measuring cats per second, that one of the key contributions of an effort like this is to define what that metric is. Yes, right? I guess if you let NVIDIA define it, it's going to be flops or something like that. And, you know, that might not be as relevant for another kind of architecture. I, I will say that NVIDIA has been a strong proponent of the, the real benchmarking. I mean, they, they've been... Uh, yeah, I'm not trying to be NVIDIA Yeah, it's very easy to end up going into some sort of technical cul-de-sac. But if you stay, stay true to what people are doing, I think that uh, that works well. And as you, you know, wisely pointed out, the, 
the critical thing is to establish this common vector of progress and get everyone moving down that vector. And even if you're a little off from where the real value vector is, the acceleration you get because you can stack everyone's progress. I go a little bit down the vector. Someone takes my idea and goes a little bit further. Mm -hmm. uh, the projection onto the real value vector moves very quickly. Whereas if everyone's claiming that their idea is better and you have no idea who's, you know, marketing department is telling the truth, you know, or, or they could all be telling the truth from their perspective, it's, it's really hard to get that, uh, that kind of aggregation of benefit. Yeah, yeah. And so MLPerf, it sounds like, is primarily used by those hardware vendors and folks that want to verify the hardware vendors' performance claims relative to one another. Is that the same audience that you're targeting with ML Commons? I, I think... Uh, so let's, let's break First this question down into two parts. Yeah. First is who uses MLPerf? Yeah. I will say that the primary use is probably either people wanting to compare their hardware against someone else or people wanting to decide, you know, what kind of hardware should I, I buy or use? That's probably our primary user, but that extends from, you know, supercomputing down to phones or even IoT devices we've got folks working on right now. Got it. But that doesn't mean that that is all that it is useful for. And in fact, we're trying to do a, a better job of getting people using it to benchmark different software stacks or different mm -hmm. optimizations. In particular, we're, we're starting an effort to uh, try and benchmark algorithmic efficiency using very similar techniques because uh, ML models keep getting bigger. And uh, unfortunately, you know, compute budgets are not infinite. So we need to figure out ways to do, do more with less compute. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'd what like to some, you know, help with that. What are some examples of the, the, the kinds of algorithmic efficiencies you're envisioning using MLPerf for or some of the ways that you do that? Are we talking about like training parameters, like uh, yep. learning rates and that kind of thing? Yeah, so you can imagine um, using better hyperparameter search algorithms, better optimizers, uh, which are the things that take, you know, you make your model makes a guess and then you, it's not a right guess. So you, you apply back the, uh, the error to make it better. And uh, the way you apply that back is uh, determined by the optimizer. So we'd, we'd like, uh, like better optimizers or just better models. I mean, there are good and bad models in terms of, of efficiency. You know, we'd like to really be able to understand and characterize that. But this is at a, at a much earlier stage than sort of the hardware comparisons. Yeah. So, you know, we just, we want to be uh, sort of serve the full stack. A little bit of investment in benchmarking for companies with, uh, with big compute spends uh, is, is a very good return. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so ML Commons, is ML Commons primarily being introduced to serve as a organizational structure behind MLPerf with the same set of goals? Or is it so, attempting to broaden the, the scope or are they totally independent? And uh, <laughs> So there are a, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. So okay. <laughs> um, as, as MLPerf grew, um, yeah. we, we were running it as an informal consortium, which means we had you know, mailing lists and you know, a shared drive. But we want this to be a durable thing. If you look at SPEC, which is you know, the general purpose computing MLPerf, yeah. uh, they've been around for 30 years, right? We'd, we'd like to be here three decades from now. And so we needed a durable organization to hold it. But in the course of trying to figure out what we wanted to do to get that durable organization, we realized that there was uh, a bigger need that we could serve. You know, I, we read all this hype about ML as being this incredibly advanced field and look at all these things it's doing. But it's really very young. I mean, this is not, uh, 
you know, this is not um, transatlantic jet travel, right? This is the Wright brothers, you know, half the time the planes crash and we don't understand why, you know, and so we need to build the things that help it, uh, it grow as an industry, you know, and I think that really does start with good benchmarks, good measurements, you know, understandings of what really is speed, what really is accuracy, what really is efficiency, you know, and understandings uh, that everybody shares so that we're all talking the same language, you know, uh, uh, the metric system, uh, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but we also need, we need good raw materials. We need um, data sets, which is what everything in ML is built from. I don't think we'd have ML today if we didn't have ImageNet. ImageNet is, I, I'm told it costs about $300,000 and that the ROI on that investment is, is amazing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we need more of that. A lot of our data sets, they, they emerge sort of organically from, uh, from an academic project and they go out in the world and they sit, right? And we really need continued investment in building great public data sets um, that everybody can use to both communicate about how good their approach to solving that class of problem is and to build better solutions. And lastly, we, we need good ways of doing things, good standard ways of doing things. You know, we need, uh, for instance, ways of, of easily sharing uh, machine learning models between, you know, I'm a researcher, I want to give it to, to you, engineer, at a, you know, a small business, and, and you can use it for something, right? How do I make that exchange as easy as possible? You know, so we, we had a really strong community, and we saw a really big need for this kind of community infrastructure to turn ML into an industry. And so we decided we'd create um, a new organization to host MLPerf and try and take on um, this new set of tasks that we, uh, we, we thought the community really uh, needed. And so that's what we're doing with ML Commons. So ML Commons will sit on these uh, you know, sort of three pillars, we call them, of benchmarking, public data sets, and uh, best practices. And we're, uh, we're working right now to start to build out those other areas. We've actually uh, already started projects in, in those areas. Uh, we've got a lot of great people involved, but we want to get uh, more people and more projects and help ML go to the next level and, and really deliver benefits to, uh, to everyone. Mm -hmm. On the, the last of those pillars you mentioned, best practices, you know, we, can, we can explore the specific things that you're doing. But there's so much ground there to cover, particularly given, you know, as you mentioned, kind of the still nascent state of machine learning and deep learning in particular, and how much of training models remains kind of a, you know, yeah. dark art, you know, yes. have you, did you happen to come across or hear about the latest paper about the latest technique to do, you know, X, Y, Z to get your models to converge? We need to turn that art into science. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and, and then into engineering, which is things that you know people can easily pick up and use to solve real problems. You know, I think there's there have been some early successes in ML, um, but there's a lot more that I think it can do. I think in particular, you look at some of the things it might do in healthcare. Um, if you saw the DeepMind announcement recently about the, the protein folding solution for drug development, mm -hmm. um, you know that's very exciting. I think there's a lot of a lot of opportunities there. Things it might do in automotive safety, right? Full self-driving or a lot of things short of that, uh, you know, save a bunch of lives. You know, the things it could do for communication and access to information or the things it already does, right? It's, it powers the search engines we use to find things. Um, you know, it uh, increasingly enables things like voice interfaces and automatic translation. 
it just make it easier for people everywhere to get get to information. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of potential here, and we're in very very early days. Yeah. Uh, so let's maybe dig into each of those silos. On the benchmarking side, you know, there's ML Perf. One of the things that I was curious about, when you go to the ML Perf website, kind of the lead tagline is fair and you know whatever the rest of that tagline is. Fair and useful. Fair and useful. And you know, certainly when you're doing industry benchmarks, one of the key pillars is that you want to be fair to the various participants in that benchmark. But I think it also jumped out at me in the context of like bias uh, and and algorithmic fairness, algorithmic Mm -hmm. ethics, these kinds of conversations uh, around which there's also a need for folks to have tools to benchmark their fairness in, in that sense. Is that something that you, you know, working on, thinking about, decided not to work on, you know, something already there? Um, yeah. So like one of the things that we're doing uh, sort of related to, to fairness and, you know, increased access is actually in the data set side of things. A, a data set, if you think about it, is really, um, it is almost a benchmark, Right. It's a, it's a test for your model. How well can you encode this data and uh, you know, usefully summarize it? So we're trying to construct a new data set called uh, the People's Speech, which is going to be um, roughly two orders of magnitude larger than any other public speech data set we know about. You know, so that's about uh, more than 80,000 hours of speech. Uh, it's roughly 10 years. And uh, though it is still, you know, because of what we can easily get started with, it's, it's uh, predominantly English. We've been able to include um, 59 different languages, you know, at, at varying levels of support, uh, you know, in the initial data set. And I think doing things like that really broadens the reach of ML and makes it you know, fairer for uh, a wide range of people. Yeah, so that's that's definitely something that we're we're interested in. You know, we are very much a technical organization and less of a policy organization. So if we can figure out how to quantify something, we're very interested in uh, in helping people uh, make that better. Yeah, you know, we think it's a very worthy goal. Mm-hmm. What led to the people's speech as kind of the first the place to start on the data set side of this? Uh, you know, that particular silo. I, and I think it was, you look at the big ML tasks, and there are some pretty good data sets in, in Vision. I, I honestly, I think they could be better, but there's, there's some really good starts out there. You know, and, and textual data is a little easier to come by, but speech, you know, I think the best, uh, one of the best data sets we have is recordings of the, the European Parliament. And uh, you, can, you can probably guess about the demographic uh, diversity of, of that data set. And so, you know, it seemed like a really good opportunity to have an impact. And that's a lot of what we're about is trying to find, uh, you know, opportunities for impact uh, to, to improve um, sort of the ML ecosystem in a, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And when you say it's a speech data set, is it audio only? Is it uh, audio and corresponding texts? What, what is, exactly is the nature of the, the data set? So it's, it's audio with corresponding text, right? This is how you train speech to text models which is the thing behind a lot of, you know, speech-to-text interfaces. So, you know, with, without that labeled data, uh, there are techniques that can get some value out of it, but uh, it's, it's so much easier when you have the labels. 
And so a lot of the work that we've done is figured out how to take a large corpus of speech and uh, produce a lot of that labeling in a very efficient way. Uh, that's what, what's let us get started. Mm-hmm. And how have you done that? Is that is that a, like a crowdsourced community-oriented effort or so uh, we've, funding a, a huge labeling effort? A couple of different answers. Okay. Um, there is, um, first of all, let's talk about what we're, what we're trying to do. Sure. Um, if, if you think of coverage, there's, we're trying to make a big data set. We're also trying to make a data set with good coverage. Okay? Mm-hmm. And we can define that coverage along sort of two axes. One axis is how diverse are the languages um, and the speakers, right? Different people, different languages, different accents. The other axis is how real is the conversation? So is it you know, people reading books or is it people talking? Yeah. And if you imagine the lower corner is people reading books in English, right? That is the easiest place to start, <laughs> right? And that's where a substantial fraction of our data comes from. But what that does is it gives us mass. And the way machine learning models work, you can imagine that if you have a machine learning model, they can like figure out, oh, that's a word, you know, and that's a break in a sentence. You know, these things transfer uh, between languages. So that gives us our mass. And then we found other sources to bring in um, different languages or, you know, slightly more realistic, uh, you know, ways of speaking. And we plan in the future to invest in pushing both of those out. So we've got this, uh, this good start, which is um, you know, sort of a red, mostly English, but with a broad coverage of other languages at, at a, a lower level. And then we're going to push that out. The way that we, we got a lot of that was to um, acquire a bunch of content and then use some automated techniques to do the alignment. To, you know, someone is reading this text and here's the recording, but, you know, where is this word in that recording? And so we developed some, some good techniques for doing that. And that let us get to scale very quickly. You know, some of our other stuff is, uh, you know, drawn from a variety of Creative Commons sources and aligned in various ways uh, so that we can, uh, can composite the data set. Then what our plan is, and this is... You know, this is another thing that I think is important to think about when we're, we're thinking about data sets. It's too often we think about data sets as someone made a data set for that, you know, we're done. Um, but it's, that's like saying, you know, that's, that's uh, Linux version 1.0, solved the open source operating system thing, we're done. Let's move on to the next problem. You know, th- these are things where we need continued investment as we better understand, you know, uh, what sort of data we need, um, you know, and how we can accumulate it and, and make it as useful as possible. So we've we've uh, uh, assembled a group of people, you know, companies that help fund ML Commons, you know, both monetarily and by contributing engineering resources or compute resources, and you know, academics who bring a lot of vision and, and enthusiasm, and, and you know, small companies, you know, who contribute an amazing amount of work given their size, and assembled this group to try and create this. You know, sort of living data sets, you know, starting with this one, but hopefully adding others in the near future where we, we have an impact and then we keep growing it. Nice, nice. And then on the best practices side, what's the initial focus there? So for best practices, we, we want to start with some very simple things that are, are surprisingly hard to do right now. One of the simplest things in ML uh, is to share a model, is to say, I've developed a model. I would like the world to be able to use it. Yeah. Um, as it turns out, downloading someone else's model is pretty much a good way to write off a week. 
you got to figure out the dependencies. You got to figure out where to get the data from. Do you have exactly the data they use? Is it going to be compatible with the hardware you're going to try and run it on? You know, uh, how do they set it up for you to run it? It's some very basic questions, and it's it uh, it takes time to sort through all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, so we've uh, started a project we call ML Cube, uh, which is basically to provide a really simple interface to a software container that has a machine learning model in it. Um, so you can do simple things like train it or use it for inference without having to learn a, a new approach to things uh, every time you get a new model. And this is really useful if you want to share it person to person or if you want to start building infrastructure that can handle a set of different models. The analogy we really like for, uh, for MLCube is uh, shipping containers. So you think about what, what, what a shipping container is, right? It's, it's a metal box of a known size. That is it. Everyone has agreed we're going to make metal boxes. They're going to be this size. But have you read the book, The Box? I, I have not. Is this, uh, is this on the show about container? the history of the shipping container? Wow. I, I, okay, I have to read that because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed with shipping containers. But, uh, but it's, it's amazing. Like the, we've built this global infrastructure that moves boxes around. Yeah, and the infrastructure itself is incredibly complex, and you know what's in the box might be um, you know a load of uh, uh, next generation phones or um, vaccines or who knows. Sure, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how complex the contents of the box are, and it doesn't matter how complex the infrastructure is. They can interoperate because we have this metal box of known dimensions, and uh, that is really what we would like to um, provide for the uh, machine learning world. You know, it's it's a deliberately simple project, but we we hope it'll be a very useful one. It's one we would like to have, you know, and it's always one of the good tests. Are you building something you want? Like we have to deal with benchmarks that are a variety of models written in different frameworks. And we would like to be able to build infrastructure that can run them all easily. You know, we'd like to be able to have our members come get them and, you know, look at our reference implementations and develop their own that they can submit, you know? They need something like this. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the problem is much bigger than that. It's, it's a pretty universal problem. And it's just one of those things that we fundamentally need as a community and we don't have. And so going to a little bit more detail there, this container model that you are proposing with MLQ, what specifically is it? Is it a kind of a standard way of setting up endpoints for some REST endpoints for some model that's inside a container is it you know are we using docker for this versus something else is it so it's it's in its simplest simplest description it's a standard command line interface to a docker that contains a model Mm -hmm. it's more abstract than that so if you can't for some reason use docker i mean like a lot of uh the national labs can't for various reasons Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have some other sort of container that implements the interface uh, and still interact with it. But if you want the simplest idea, it's a Docker with a command line interface that you know <laughs> and understand regardless of what the model inside of it is. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, Docker's a, a nice way to package something up and give it to someone so they can run it someplace else. You know, and if it has metadata that describes, you know, what kind of hardware it can run on, you can get that that hardware, you know, and make sure you have it so you don't have to worry about compatibility issues. You know, it, it has all the dependencies you need. Um, it either has the data or it has required to have scripts to get the data. Sure, yeah, I'm trying to differentiate what comes for free with Docker 
right? Because yeah. we've you know, been doing that for a while versus ML cube. It sounds like part of that is the, you know, how you parameterize the CLI and yep. uh, standardize it across from one model to the next. That, that's basically the, the primary value add. Like we, we want this to be as little code as possible. Like the idea here is deliberately create a simple thing that everybody can use. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you have a, a Docker, if you don't know what's in it or how it works, right. uh, it only solve part of the problem, right? And so we want to solve the rest of the problem uh, where you could, you know, I want to write a script that will run this model on every cloud. Mm-hmm. You can do that, right? Or I want to write a script, you know, that will run these five models and then, you know, tell me what accuracy I got because that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the best model, right? And previously, you would have had to download each of those five models, you know, figure out what crazy way this person uh, chose to implement a machine learning model, right? Get it to work. Chances are it might work, but not exactly the same result they got because you made some small difference in your configuration, mm-hmm. right? And that with machine learning models, most software either works or it doesn't. Machine learning models, there was a wide range between, you know, doesn't work and works exactly like the author claims. And that's what you want to get, you know, with very little effort. And so that's what we're trying to deliver uh, with this approach. And is is it exclusive to a CLI or are you also taking on kind of defining the, you know, rest endpoints for a generic machine learning model? So we um, have some very basic pieces of infrastructure we call runners that extend it to work in a variety of different ways but they're all built atop this basic interface. One of the things that we don't want to do is build yet another full stack that competes with other full stacks that are you know, already out there. What we want is just, we want that shipping container. People can build complex competing infrastructure above and people mm-hmm. can put different frameworks inside you know, and just have it all, all work together so people can choose whatever you know, is best for them. That's, that's the goal. You know, like I said, the deliberate simplicity, strive for sort of, you know, as close to universal adoption as we can, we can get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you've kind of already said the answer to this, but, you know, in, in achieving your top level goal, which is enabling some degree of interoperability, you know, for the users of models, there's this container approach, which you've taken. There are also things like Onyx uh, and other interchange formats for the model code itself. You know, do you have a kind of a perspective or take on the sure. relationship between those things and what you've done and you know why you went the way you went, that kind of thing? So th- those, like Onyx specifically is below uh, this, this <laughs> it is a very thin- Onyx uh, would be in the, exactly. inside the container. Yep. Right. We're, we're talking a bit about how you could share weights back and forth, which is a problem we've run into with benchmarking, where you'd like to have people using very different frameworks for the same model and use the same weights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there's some discussion over how we might achieve that. But this, this isn't the main focus uh, um, of MLQ. So that, that's how it, it relates to that. You know, I think there's other um, sort of continuous integration, continuous deployment uh, solutions out there. Things like um, uh, Kubeflow, you know, one of our, our uh, early um, those those runners that let it interact with something is, is aimed at, uh, at Kubernetes in that world. Uh, okay. You know, but that's helping it tie into existing infrastructure, not making yeah. that the only way to solve the problem. 
Yeah. So interesting to note for folks that are following this conversation, ML cube in this case is spelled with a C, not a C. A. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yes. I think the parallel is there, right? I think a lot of organizations are, you know, when they're trying to build out an MLOps workflow, you know, a lot of folks arrive at, hey, let's containerize our model and have the container be the artifact. Yep. Um, but everyone's kind of reinventing that and doing it differently. And what you're saying is, hey, let's do it the same way. And then you can get a, a model from anywhere and run it on a Kubernetes cluster without having to know quite as much about what's inside the box. Exactly. And like the, um, yeah, I think the, the parallels to the industrial revolution are very strong. Like this is, uh, we need interchangeable parts, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where you can you can buy the the part from manufacturer A or manufacturer B, and you know, uh, and swap it in, and it'll work. Right now, we don't have that. We have you know, handcrafted by uh, you know, an elite team of engineers in a in a way that only they uh, they are very familiar with. And uh, if you try and remove it or replace it with something from another team of engineers, you're going to have some work to do. And we we'd like to get away from that um, because that's what lets you know, it's part of democratizing ML is to you know make this possible for people who don't have, you know, the uh, expensive team of, of ML engineers. They can, uh, you know, take something and, and get it working easily and, uh, you know, try it out for their problem and, uh, you know, create a new business or, you know, write a paper, uh, you know, in a field that's not directly ML and, uh, and leverage the value of ML. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Um, and what's the... Is ML Cube is it forthcoming or is there already pieces of that available? Is it so? Yeah, so we have you know ML Commons as a GitHub repo. Um, it's got you know the ML Perf benchmarks in it. It's got um, ML Cube. You know when we uh, we figure out how to to make data sets efficiently, it'll probably have that in it. We want to build this up and and make it available for the community. It's a you know we're Open source, uh, you know, Apache two licenses. Uh, you know, we, we invite contributions and involvement. This is a model the community has has kind of figured out, and uh, and we want to leverage that that open source model and, and uh, use it to solve this this particular problem to start with, and then work on uh, work on other uh, similar useful problems. Just trying to make a, a mature industry um, where it's it's um, it's easy to do things um, for a variety of people, uh, mm-hmm. the variety of backgrounds and different fields all over the world. Like mm-hmm. that is that is what I think uh, you know, democratizing ML means, which is a phrase that a lot of people use. But this is how you put it in the practice: you, you build good public data sets, you give people best practices that make it easy to get models and use them. You give them uh, them benchmarks so they understand the trade-offs, uh, you know, or the options they have available to them. You know, this this is how you make that happen. Mm-hmm. Before we wrap up, I'd love to have you share a little bit about, you know, your other hat that you wear on sure. the Google side, running the ML metrics team. What are some of the key things that you've learned about measuring ML? in practice at the scale that Google tends to operate? I mean, I think the biggest thing I've learned right now is that it it doesn't matter how big you are, but efficiency in ML is going to be critical going forward. Mm -hmm. If you look at, in particular, in the natural language models, they just keep getting exponentially bigger. And, you know, we need to figure out a way to achieve the same ends with less less training investment, uh, you know, less, less inference investment. 
it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're Google or if you're a startup, you know, this, this is a really big problem. And it's, you know, it's, it's a big focus from uh, me and my team right now. You know, I, I think benchmarks actually do have a pretty amazing capacity uh, to drive this forward. Uh, I'm escaping the spotlight. Uh, <laughs> if, if you look at like the ResNet benchmark, which was, you know, we put in early as a classic benchmark. We, we still have it. In about two years, we have a 13x top line speed up. You know, we have similar sort of per trip speed ups. You know, not quite the same magnitude, but um, just by software stack improvements. If you if you give people a, a measure of speed, they will make it better. If we can combine that with a measure of you know, efficiency in using data or um, the accuracy of the result you achieve, you know, you can you can get uh, get better results faster. You know, and I, I um, something I try and do uh, with my team, and it's something we're trying to do uh, in MLperf and ML Commons. There's a real synergy, I think between the sort of private commercial world and the public commercial world for metrics, um, because they're most powerful when everyone agrees on them. Even if you agree on, you know, a imperfect metric, if you all agree on it, mm-hmm. uh, you get you get a tremendous amount of leverage. And so, you know, I think Google's always been a, a big uh, supporter of, you know, open source initiatives, and sort of, uh, you know, community involvement. And, um, you know, they've been no different with, uh, with ML Commons and ML Perf. So, you know, fortunate enough to be able to try and apply that insight about uh, what matters across my team and the larger community. Mm -hmm. And MLPerf, this is, I'm sure, an oversimplification, but tends to focus on the the first of those three areas, the efficiency, as opposed to the accuracy and uh, I'm blanking on the last of the three. (laughs) MLPerf is constituted today, uh, tends to focus on speed. Yeah. Like how fast can you, you train it? Which okay. is one of the ways uh, to realize um, efficiency. Got it. Uh, right. You know, uh, you have to hold hardware constant to really convert performance into efficiency. Yeah. Because one of the way, other ways to get speed is throw more hardware at it. And that does, generally does not get you, uh, you know, uh, better results uh, for the right. same cost. So that's where we are today. You know, accuracy is, I think, something we're starting to look at. Yeah, you know, data sets are, in some ways, the fundamental of measuring accuracy in ML. You know, we we had um, interesting study by one of our members, who's a professor at Harvard, and something like eighty percent of the papers published by large corporations you still use public data sets, uh, even though they may have better internal data sets, mm-hmm. because that is the common yardstick that you use to communicate and compare research results. Yeah, yeah, and so um, you know that in some ways a data set is an accuracy metric. And I think there's a more nuanced uh, conversation there about how you construct the test set and you know how those two things relate to each other that we, we would like to explore within the community and, and see whether we can produce better accuracy uh, metrics. One of the things one of our research groups, and we, ML Commons has a, a research arm uh, led by a couple of uh, very forward-looking uh, academics, is one of the things that uh, one of their their working groups is looking at is how do we make um, how do we we use things similar to federated learning for evaluating uh, medical models across large virtual data sets? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not doing anything with with private data. They're just looking at infrastructure. But you know, if you had a model and you wanted to evaluate its accuracy across a a range of, of different uh, data sets that contain private information that you shouldn't be accessing. But it would be really useful to the clinical world to know whether or not your model works uh, in a wide range of clinical settings. Uh, mm-hmm. You could set it out, 
aggregate only the results, which are you know, small numbers, don't contain uh, private information at all, and composite that. Mm-hmm. So, so we're looking at sort of you know how do we build these different tools, data sets, this uh, you know uh, federated approach, different ways of enabling people to measure accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you bring those two together, we have a, a group that's specifically focused on this efficiency problem. You know, they're starting to look at like, can you isolate the model from the optimizer? Can you say, okay, we're going to hold the model constant and we're going to see whether or not you can come up with a better or worse optimizer. We're going to hold the optimizer constant and see, you know, assuming you can't, you know, hyper fit your optimizer, do you really have a better model or not? You know, and it's that kind of rigorous experimentation that I think gets past, uh, you know, everybody complaining they've got, or um, everybody uh, claiming they've got the best, uh, the best model, the best optimizer, and gets to the point where we really understand what is progress, and you know, we get these great improvements by building, you know, small optimization on top of small optimization. Mm-hmm. But you can't do it without um, good metrics. Uh, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Are, are there a, a handful of things that, as you kind of look out at peers in the industry, at you know, not Google or for that matter, other teams at Google, maybe? When you first engage with a, an ML user that isn't, you know, working with your team, I don't know if that's a scenario you run into, but you know, is there? I'm curious if there's a short list of things that you find that folks could be doing but aren't doing to take advantage of metrics or to think more, you know, think or do, you know, in a more structured way with regard to metrics that could help them achieve their their ultimate goals. Yeah, I think there are, there are some good lessons about metrics. Uh, first of all is start with a really good definition that originates with what you want to measure, not what you can measure. Mm-hmm. And then um, come up with the best approximation that you can measure. Mm-hmm. This gets you pointed in the right direction and you're aware of how far you are from true north uh, as you start to move forward. That I think is, is a really useful lesson. You know, specifically with respect to ML, um, that, that first lesson, that's, that's metrics everywhere. Uh, <laughs> with, with, uh, with regard to ML, be aware it's stochastic and plan for that, right? You know, like ML perf, you have to run each result some number of times that's determined by the variance and the convergence of your model when you're doing yeah. training. Like models take different periods of time to train, same models, same data set. Even sometimes initialized with the same conditions, you know, floating point ordering, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings and your model ends up someplace else. Um, <laughs> right? And so you, you have to plan for this stochastic effect and take it into account when measuring things. Like don't, you know, don't let someone, you know, convince you with a cherry picked result. You know, make sure you, uh, you, you evaluate a range of results. Um, I think that's, that's a useful thing to really think about in ML. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're looking at performance specifically, be very aware of normalization. You know, we uh, we provide performance results with MLPerf. Sometimes people normalize them per chip, uh, which is better than not normalizing them by anything. But uh, you know, think about you know whether it's power or cost or what matters to you, and make sure you understand performance per unit. In particular, for for inference, because inference is infinitely scalable. Uh, you give me twice as much hardware, I give you twice as much performance. You know, I think that's that's a very useful uh, performance insight. So I think those are those are three pretty good uh, good rules. Is is make sure you understand what your your abstract measure is and how close you are to it. 
be aware of stochastic effects in machine learning and make sure you are you are normalizing whatever you are doing by some sort of cost metric uh, that makes sense for you and your application. Awesome. Well, Peter, thanks so much for taking the time to share a bit about what you're up to. Congrats on the launch of this new org and looking forward to kind of seeing cool stuff come out of it. Thank you very much for uh, for letting me come here and uh, have a great conversation with you. Um, you know, this is uh, was uh, was really insightful, and um, you know, we're we're very excited about growing our community behind ML Commons. So we uh, we encourage people. Uh, we're launching on uh, December third, and we encourage people to to check out our site mlcommons.org and uh, and get involved. We'd we'd love to have you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks very much. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.